Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Chilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Scott Shara, Grace's dad, president of Our Amazing Grace, with a very important topic today, death panels and other medical tyranny that's ongoing. And Scott Shara, it's great to have you back on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Well, it's wonderful to be back, Rob. I'd like for you to start out by telling us about your daughter, Grace, such a tragic situation, and I think people need to know about it. So give us a background, please. Well, Grace was 19. She had uh, Down syndrome. She was extremely high-functioning. She could read, write, drive a car, ride a horse. Um, She played violin. She had a sense of humor that was second to none. It was... You know, you, you get these flashes back to when she was alive. And one happened this last week I'll just share that will we'll kind of frame her sense of humor. So in our area, there's a grocery store chain. It's it's a larger than just Wisconsin, but it's called Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> one day she said, Dad, I don't get it because their jingle is shop the pig. She said, Dad, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> she said, don't you have to shoot the pig and then eat the pig? Why do you <laughs> shot the pig? You know, so, I mean, she just loved that literal sense of humor. And, and of course, I loved it, too. And I, I miss her more than uh, than I've ever missed anybody. So why I'm doing what I'm doing with and as I've dug into this, I've seen that you know, there's over a million people in the United States that have been murdered in hospitals in the under the excuse of COVID. And in Grace's case, she was given a sedation med for four and a half days that is not supposed to be used for more than 24 hours because if you use it for more than 24 hours, it causes acute respiratory failure, which they truthfully listed that as the first cause of death on her death certificate. The second cause of death they listed was COVID-19 pneumonia. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. What they did is they took that sedation med and combined it with an anxiety med called lorazepam. So the sedation med was Presidex. And then they further combined it with morphine all in 29 minutes. That would have killed you and I, Rob. And that is so egregious. When I started to dig into the details as to how they did that and the process they needed to go through, I realized she was murdered. So that's the second cause of death. And the third cause of death is likely the most egregious, which when my daughter Jessica was in the room with her, so Jess was in the room her last two days, I had been taken out by an armed guard three days earlier. When Jess was in the room with her and, and Grace's numbers started to drop, she called my wife Cindy and I and said, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. And we said, get the nurses in. She said, I've been trying for an hour. They won't come in. So we started screaming, save our daughter. And they hollered back, she's DNR, which is do not resuscitate. We found out in, in going through the detailed records, the doctor put a DNR order on Grace without our permission that morning. 
it's so sick. He had called us that morning saying, Grace had such a good day yesterday. Let's work on nutrition. And we should get her out of bed, sit in a chair and, you know, all this positive stuff. And yet we had his main purpose of the call was to ask us for the fifth time to give them a pre-approval or a pre-authorization for a ventilator. When we said no, that set in motion a sequence of events to murder our daughter that day. And as I dug into things and learned about the money trail that the government is paying hospitals to follow these protocols like remdesivir, ventilator, which kill people, I found out that the hospital receives about $300,000 if we would have given this authorization for a ventilator. Of course, they framed it as, you know, just in case. Well, Grace was never a ventilator candidate, nor nor is anybody on COVID a ventilator candidate. That was sold to us as part of this propaganda to take people out. So that's the short story as to why I'm here. This sounds like, first of all, institutional evil, uh, that there's something demonic at work here, Scott. So what's what's behind this? You've done some investigation since Grace was murdered and you've come up with some conclusions. What's really going on here that we don't see directly? Well, you're right, it is demonic. And so if you look at this as a, as a macro basis, if a person doesn't believe in God, you would come up with the same type of things that Agenda 2030 has come up with, is that we need to manage the resources of the planet, which is the climate and the people. So, you know, a godless society is producing what we are literally experiencing, which is a depopulation agenda uh, being implemented at a rapid pace by a false narrative with COVID and then obviously the jab, but the hospital killings are not getting the attention because if people really realize that the doctor they have trusted or the medical profession they've trusted are murdering people, that would stop this. And, you know, that's why I'm doing all these interviews yet. And to drill down something very specific so people realize how nefarious this is, I'm going to take you all the way back to March 23rd of 2010. Mm. That's the day Obamacare was passed. And the architect of Obamacare was Ezekiel Emanuel. And I'm going to quote something he said in 1996 regarding healthcare. He said, quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. That's the underlying goal of Obamacare. One of the uh, propaganda pushers was Stephen Ratner. And when he got on the airwaves to promote Obamacare, he said, quote, we need death panels. The big money is in, in Medicare is in reducing the cost of treating people in the last year of life, which consumes a quarter of the program's budget. So they were publicly stating that they want to reduce the cost of Medicare and Medicaid by shortening people's lives. And so then Jay Rockefeller, no no surprise, he was a senator at the time, he uh, introduced an independent payment advisory board, which is a death panel. Well, that got out into the news media, you'll remember this, and Congress shut it down. Well, they shut it down, but they didn't kill the dragon. They cut off that one head. So now we have COVID that's happened. And during COVID, this is maybe the most egregious thing, Rob. Yeah, I'm writing on this now and you'll, you'll get my writing either later this week or next week is that the Health and Human Services 
secretary has been given unlimited power under the public health emergency that has been in place now for three years. It was re-upped yesterday again for another 90 days. Health and Human Services Secretary is given unlimited power. He can do things that are unconscionable to us and sneak them in. And so what he did, and you can't make this up, this is so bad. There was a charter that was signed into law by him that's called Medicare Evidence Development and Coverage Advisory Committee, MedCAC for short. This was signed on November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving. It was filed on November 24th, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, no surprise because you know the, the entire media is gone during that time. So they mm-hmm. sneak this, this in. I mean, in the research, we discovered this, which I'm thankful that we did so we can share it. So this is the new death panel. And it says specifically in the charter, they're charged with deciding which medical items and services are reasonable and necessary or otherwise covered for Medicare beneficiaries under Title 18 of the Social Security Act. So you would you would think when I read that, that that doesn't apply to you. I'm not on Social Security and I'm not on Medicare, so that doesn't apply to me. Well, I'm here to tell you it does apply to you. And the reason is, is because the Medicare Medicaid standards of care that are dictated by the government apply to all medical facilities that take in Medicare and Medicaid patients. And the reason it applies to them is they've designed the reimbursement rates. They, meaning the government, has designed the reimbursement rates that the medical facilities receive for Medicare and Medicaid are based on the percentage of their patients, all patients in in their medical facility that are on the government dictated protocols. And I'll give you a very specific example. I was made aware of this about five years ago. I was diagnosed with heart disease. I thought I was at a independent medical facility, but as I learned, one of the nurses came clean with me and she said, Scott, I want to tell you something that you're not going to want to hear. The reason they keep pushing the statin on you is because we have to, we got to get you on that drug because our Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates are dependent on getting a higher percentage of our patient population following the scripts that are dictated by Medicare and Medicaid. So even though I wasn't on Medicare and Medicaid, they're pushing the statin drug. Well, I, of course, did my own research. I'm not on any drugs. I, I did it with you know, drilling down my own blood chemistry. But this is super important. So now, under the public health emergency, they did something so egregious. You know, they have death panels that came back, which is obviously, you know, that's the goal that fits into this agenda seamlessly. And, you know, eventually the public health emergency is not going to get extended anymore. And, you know, they have to have these things in place before the public health emergency is ended. Scott, tell us the practical application of the new death panel. What can we expect to be seeing going forward based on this new rule? Well, I'll give you a very practical example. So this gives the green light. If you think through what's happening is that the things that we are seeing are all outside the rule box that we're used to uh, living in. What ends up happening is that in order to get justice, you end up needing to take the people who violate the laws to court. Their excuses under the, so the public health emergency, for example, that allows the bonus payments to be continued to the hospitals to murder people, and they have immunity from liability under the PrEP Act. 
Well, then furthermore, what you've got is state agencies providing immunity from liability. And this is this is so interesting and and egregious. We learned this in drilling down Grace's case, because, as I said, the third cause of death was the doctor put in a unilateral illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. You know, when I found that I had taken that along with the med combination that I told you about earlier. And I, I filed a complaint with the Department of Safety and Professional Services. That's the organization in Wisconsin that regulates doctors and they're supposed to be protecting the public. So I filed that complaint on December 2nd of 2021. That was shortly after Grace died. I had just gone through the records, realized they killed her. I didn't realize they murdered her at that time. Sent them all the research. They sent me a letter dated January 20th back and said they did an investigation and the doctor didn't do anything wrong. Well, as God would have it, he sent an investigative reporter to Appleton to interview me about illegal DNRs. He had heard Grace's story. And by the way, his documentary was just came out on uh, the 9th of January. It's posted on Grace's website. Anyway, he started poking around. So he wrote to the Department of Safety and Professional Services. They sent him back the seven-page letter that the doctor's attorney wrote in rebuttal to my complaint. I never saw that letter. You'd think if you're going to you're going to do an investigation, they would have sent that to me so I'd have a chance to comment on it. That letter has at least 50 lies in it. So I, of course, wrote, I didn't send it to the department because they're in on this, but I wrote my response so that the legal team has it. As we keep going with this investigative reporter, so now we get that letter. Um, he also asked, did the rules change for the state DNR statute during COVID? They acknowledged that they did not. Well, then he poked even more. And finally, they sent him a letter dated December 5th. So this is just a month ago now. And it said specifically, so now our, we're out there now. When they first sent the letter in January, I mean, we were, you know, nobody know, knew of our case. But believe me, the, the Department of Safety and Professional Services now knows. And they wrote in direct response to his challenge about violating the state statute that Chapter 154 of the Wisconsin Statutes does not apply to physicians operating in hospital, non-emergency room settings, such as the one in question. Let that soak in. That means that a doctor in a hospital can put a DNR on a patient unilaterally anytime he chooses. That's against the law, but their own regulatory agency is telling them they can do it. So think through what that means. So I want to tell you, this doesn't just apply to Wisconsin. Grace's case has gone international. So we're getting, I I know, hundreds of these cases. You know, they're sneaking in DNRs in all kinds of different ways. One, uh, G. Edward Griffin, who runs the Red Pill Expo, he told me his personal story. When he was in the hospital, he woke up one morning, there's a DNR bracelet on him. Wow. He didn't give permission. Um, One of the men from church told me that he had to sign his DNR order before they would even admit him to the hospital. They're doing this in all kinds of ways. There's a, a lady who had Down syndrome in Connecticut who lost her life, and the mom got a hold of us, and I asked her to send me the records. You can see right in the records that family requested the uh, patient not be DNR. Doctor puts a DNR order in. This is scary stuff. I just can't talk about this enough, Rob, because I want people to see this. You asked me for the practical application. This is this is how they implement. They they implement outside and above the law 
And, you know, of course, most people don't even realize it happened because they didn't get the records. But then when you realize it happens, it takes you, you know, the legal team expects the process to take two years. So how many people are going to be murdered in that two years before the truth comes out? A whole lot. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Scott Shaw right after this. Associated Press award-winning journalist, Rob Schilling. BorderHawk.News is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The BorderHawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. BorderHawk.News highlights national and international media reports, tweets, and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. BorderHawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. BorderHawk.News will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark BorderHawk.News. Add them on social media at BorderHawkNews on Twitter. Shilling Show Unleashed. Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Scott Shara. We're talking about death panels, another medical tyranny ongoing before us right here in the United States of America, and it's very widespread. You may not have heard of it yet, but we're giving you details. I'd like to go to the hospital killing field, as you put it. And I want to start here because for years and years and years, Scott, we all heard about the Hippocratic Oath and figured that doctors were bound to this and that we would be protected by them. First, do no harm. Is that a lie? It's a hundred percent lie. I shouldn't say a hundred percent because as you may remember, I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died and that, that team saved my life. I just yes. about died the first night and in 24 hours they turned me around. Why? Because they were following the Hippocratic Oath. Right now, most hospitals have been bought and I don't mean literally legally bought, but they've been bought as uh, through a process of number one, direct payments to the government by the government for following NIH protocols that kill people. Uh, Number two, they have immunity from liability when the patient dies for following those protocols. And number three, they have a shroud of secrecy. So what they're doing, you know, our case is very unique because we're one of maybe one in a hundred thousand where the family was allowed in the room. They did this to grace while we were there. Most of the situations have the shroud of secrecy. And so then you have the reality when the patient dies, they receive the call, your your Uncle Jim just died of COVID. They've done such a great job with the propaganda narrative that the family believes it. And then the funeral director, when they go to the funeral director, he gives them a piece of paper and says, hey, listen, just so you know, because Uncle Jim died of COVID, um, the government is going to pay $9,000 towards your funeral expenses. So think this process, what I just said, the person who caused the murder, the government is now going to pay for the funeral to make it look like they're the good guy. You know, so the Hippocratic Oath has been shredded by this uh, uh, institution of murder that the government has, has funded. We mentioned that the hospitals are profiting off of this. As you said, they're getting paid by the government. But what's the government's interest here and who's really behind this? I mean, this this can't be just Joe Biden. There's got to be some entity behind this and and with a specific interest. 
so how they're how they're selling this to the public is through the the theory of collectivism versus individualism. So with collectivism, they have gotten our society to believe that we are wards of the state. What's good for the state is good for everybody. And so what they have done is, and, and I shared some of this with the Obamacare situation, but I'll be very specific now. The Medicare and Medicaid recipients account for 39% of the federal budget. So that's $2.2 trillion annually. So under the guise that we need to save money, they have been successful at convincing uh, the population really for decades that euthanasia is should be legalized because we need to pay attention to this budget. We've got to reduce the budget. It's out of control. We need to do something substantial to revamp Medicare and Medicaid. So that's the benefit to the government in theory, the benefit to the population. But And I say in theory because we know that we live under a fiat currency. Yes. So, you know, they just passed a $1.7 trillion bill for what? You know, just they can print money at their discretion to fund any conceivable foolishness that they want, but they don't want to take care of the population. That's why you can see it as as satanic and it's there's people that we don't see behind the curtain that are pulling the strings of the u.s government to implement this agenda so there's other things going on here surrounding hospitals number one you reference that they're cutting staff and number two which is tied to this is that patients are afraid to go hey i've got to tell you after reading all the things that you've put out and other stories i've heard scott i would go to the hospital as a very very last resort and it's i'm sad to say that but i would not want to set foot in that place well, I think that fear is justified based on everything that I know. You know, so then what's going to happen next, I believe, is we're going to have full-scale euthanasia. The, our, our government has been very successful at selling the idea that the United States is the light on the hill. And, and so people have a hard time believing that this can happen. Well, it's, it's happening right now behind the scenes. I'm one of the few people exposing it. In the U.K., this is public. I've been working with Kate Shamarani. She's a, a nurse in the UK. She is exposing this big time. The government has literally come out and said, we need to euthanize 2,000 people a day. The hospitals break even point. So, I mean, they're funding the hospitals by having the hospitals euthanize 2,000 people a day. As these hospital revenues, you know, they, they, they became dependent on these bonuses to kill people. So now, if the public health emergency is ended and the bonus payments stop for killing people, they have to have a new way. These hospitals, a whole bunch of them built new wings, new new facilities from the COVID money. And $400 billion was paid to hospitals in the form of murder bonuses just in the first two years of COVID. So as that money dries up, they're going to need another source. And I suspect the Health and Human Services Secretary will implement some type of a permanent funding to the hospitals for euthanasia as they've done in the UK because these hospitals, otherwise they're gonna go out of business and the government of course doesn't want that to happen. I'd like for you to tell us about the hospital rescue aspect of your work. Uh, This is so important what you're doing and people need to know about it. Tell us a specific case example. This is quite a miracle. So, you know, when Grace died, when we decided to jump in this, we just, you know, we're under the premise of Genesis 50-20, that many lives will be saved by this egregious act. And we didn't want Grace's death to be in vain. And on November 5th, 
uh, we rescued Robert Pazer from a hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin. His sister called me on the third. This, this is quite a story, Rob. Uh, she had gotten my name from a friend of a friend because we have billboards up locally. So she knew knew of us, but I didn't know their family. Heather, Robert's sister, called me. Uh, she said, Scott, my brother just went to the hospital. I said, what's the story? And she said, he's got, they said he has COVID. Um, they had tested him, interestingly, with a home test a half hour before. Both the mother and Robert were negative. They got to the hospital. They're both positive a half hour later. And she said, he's disabled. I said, well, what, what does he have? And he, she said, he has SMA. I said, I don't know what that is. She said, it's spinal muscular atrophy. Mm-hmm. So he's 44 years old. He's had this since birth. Uh, he never walked, and it's a progressive disease. And so he's wheelchair-bound. His body is contorted. He only weighs 40 pounds, yet he's very smart. He just can't feed himself. He can he can talk. It's a little broken because of how his esophagus is. And I said to her, I said, I'm going to sound like a whack job, but I'm going to I have to be blunt because this is an emergency. I said they're going to try to kill him. And she listened and. She said, what do I do? I said, you got to be there as an advocate to save his life, not to hold his hand to save his life. So no remdesivir, no ventilator. She texted me the next day about 11 p.m. and said, they already put him on remdesivir. I was in bed, so I got a hold of her first thing on Saturday morning, the 5th of November. She said, do you have any anything on remdesivir you can send me? So I did. She showed it to her brother, and he said, can you please see if Scott will come to the hospital? So she called me. I said, I'll be there in a half hour. Um, got to the hospital. You don't know what it's like to see a 40-pound man that's nearly dead. What I did is I just knelt down next to him on the on the floor. I gave him a hug. I prayed with him. And he looked me in the eye and said, Scott, please don't leave me. I said, I won't. Mm-hmm. And that set in motion a sequence of events, um, which are are fantastic. So one was... The people I, Rob, I've met a whole bunch of uh, super neat people in this fight. And uh, Greta from Gro- Protocol Kills and Laura Bartlett have been working on hospital hostage situations. So I got a hold of both of them as I was preparing to go to the hospital. And Laura Bartlett called me in the car while I was driving to the hospital. She emailed me medical advocacy form. And I stopped, swung into a credit union, got it printed. So then we got to the hospital after meeting Rob, we went through step-by-step what this form says, you know, just to give you a couple of talking points. It says, I do not consent to the use of remdesivir under any circumstances. I do not consent to receiving any vaccine or booster for COVID-19, et cetera, et cetera. So we go through that with Rob, his sister's power of attorney. She signed everything. Then I got a hold of Peter McCullough, who I met in June to see if he could give me, how can we get him revived quickly? He said, I'm busy today, Scott, call Dr. Merrick. I said, I don't have his cell phone number. He texted to me. I had met Dr. Merrick in June also, and Dr. Merrick called the hospital room five minutes later. He walked through the ivermectin, NAC, vitamin D, C, uh, budesonide, everything that we needed to do. Then we had the meeting with the doctor, gave him the form. He refused to give ivermectin. He did prescribe budesonide, so I got a hold of my wife. I asked her to bring in my ivermectin, my NAC, vitamin C, vitamin D, and we got that concoction together. We got the first budesonide treatment, and we got Robert out of the bed, cleaned him up. They had him bathed him for three days. 
and he started to come alive. It was fantastic to watch this happen. And he told me, he said, Scott, the doctor, he had already been given three doses of remdesivir, which for his body weight, the dose they gave him was, uh, it was really six doses. Wow. Three doses and more is a 75% kill rate. So, I mean, I thought he was going to die for sure. And as he started to come alive, he said, Scott, the doctor told me you have COVID, but the good news is we have an antiviral that most of my patients are well in three days, some of them even in two days. That antiviral was remdesivir. <sighs> so people think this still isn't happening or that it's not happening anymore. This is what the public health emergency does. It allows this type of thing to continue and the hospitals keep getting the bonuses. So now we met with the doctor, we stopped everything. Unbelievably, 45 minutes after the meeting, a nurse came in with flu COVID vaccine. So we had to stop her, you know, after we already stopped everything. Um, anyway, about, you know, I got there about nine o'clock at 8.30 that night, 11 and a half hours later, we physically removed him against medical advice. Uh, the doctor wouldn't even come in to see him. You wouldn't prescribe any of the things, you know, oxygen, budesonide. So we had to do get all this stuff on our own. And uh, he's he's alive today because of of Grace's death and all these people who helped me rescue this man. It is a remarkable story, and I know it will be repeated again and again because God's got a purpose on all of this. Scott Shara, if people want to follow your work online, if they want to support you, pray for you, tell us how we can be in touch. Everything is on Grace's website, which is ouramazinggrace.net. That website is updated multiple times a week because of everything that's going on. I, of course, want people to invest time learning about Grace. As far as where we need help, I would say two things. You mentioned one of them, which is praying for us. You know, we are out there, and I know we're over the target as we expose this. It's going to get worse. Uh, God has been faithful. Uh, protecting us. We haven't received any death threats yet. You know, I'm, I'm expecting these things are coming. Uh, so praying for us is huge. The second thing and equally important is to share this message. So, you know, I, I, even though we have a gifts and go, I don't want any money. I'd much rather have, uh, if you just do the math, so let's say a thousand people listen to this and if those thousand people take 10 minutes and share the link with a hundred of their contacts, we just took a thousand to a hundred thousand. We got to get this message out. You know, we're wanting to save people from hospitals, but more importantly, we want to save people spiritually, which, you know, God has to prick their hearts to do that. If you are a believer and you're asleep to this, I hope you wake up and, and join the, join the fight to, help spread the word and stop these egregious actions from taking place. Indeed, it is time. Scott Shara, thank you so much for the work you're doing and for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thanks for having me. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.